Hello and welcome to the review show for Rose Tinted Black and White Television. We are currently reviewing the black and white episodes of The Saint, uh, Series 2, as it's spilling out onto the digital airwaves of Talking Pictures Television. Um, we have reached well, what can only be described as the stellar casting involved in The Noble Sportsman. This is the first of five saints for Sylvia Sims. And also it's Anthony Quayle, obviously most famous for The Strange Report. But Dave, do you th how do you think Sylvia Sims and Anthony Quayle may have met on screen? This isn't their first time of working together, and it's certainly not their last time of working together. The first time worked on British World War II action epic, Ice Cold in Alex. Uh, where she's a nurse and he is meant to be Dutch um, and he has a very short pair of shorts in, indeed and he's not to be trusted. <laughs> um, later on in the 70s, uh, they also appeared in Blake Edwards's um, tense spy thriller, The Tamarind Seed, uh, in which um, Anthony Quayle is a bluff head of British Secret Service and Sylvia Sims is the wronged wife of Dan O'Hurley, which uh, works kind of very, very well um, together. And actually, Tamarind Seed features a lovely score by John Barry. Very fancy photography, I think, by Freddie Young. And it's actually worth a view, worth catching up with. Elsewhere on TV in the Golden Age, I said, try Francis Durbridge's Bat Out of Hell with John Thor, where Sylvia Sims played a wife carrying on with her husband's assistant. And when they murder him, the body disappears and the dead man starts phoning them up. Crikey, I didn't know um, that the successful Meatloaf album was turned into a thriller series. Um, presumably they must have given it a narrative, um, but I didn't realise Bat Out of Hell. I know some of the songs um, do contain uh, narratives and are quite lengthy, but I didn't realise they'd, they'd knitted them all together um, to make a tense domestic thriller. Well, Francis Durbridge was really quite hot stuff in... The 50s, 60s, and mm. early 70s. Yeah, yeah. Um, a sign of classic <laughs> quality. Uh, obviously, best known for Paul Temple. I'm talking about Sylvia Sims here. There's an appearance in The Baron, Danger Man, The Human Jungle, and again with Anthony Quayle in an episode of The Strange Report. There you go. Um, Sylvia Sims obviously going on to play uh, the Queen Mom, very famously, and in the TV reboot of the Poseidon Adventure, um, the old Shelley Winters part. Oh, right. Was that a TV movie or was it a series? Uh, the uh, It was kind of like a big two-part thing and they shoehorned a ridiculous terrorist subplot onto it, which may explain why I think Rutger Hauer turns up in it. Oh, right, yes. If you want someone who looks a bit foreign and up to no good, hire Rutger Hauer in his pomp. Um Right, and talking of The Strange Report, uh, the man himself, 16 episodes, lots of historical costume drama, much of it biblical, uh, a lot of single plays, uh, but of course a giant of the theatre. Um, now, Anthony Quayle is one of these people. Oscar nominated, of course, for um, Anne of the Thousand Days, perhaps most notably in uh, films like Lawrence of Arabia, in, in which he, he turns up, but... Um, Anthony Quayle, in lots of biography, in lots of, of film books, 
um, is just described as being a really decent geezer. Really decent geezer. Robert Stevens describes him um, as being one of the nicest person he ever worked with, totally unaffected by stardom. Um, I've just finished reading um, Anna Massey's autobiography, and she describes what an absolute pleasure it was working with with Anthony Quayle. Um, and it's just one of those people about whom, you know, lots of good stuff. I'm glad to hear it. How unlike the character that he plays in The Noble Sportsman. Yeah. Take it away, Dave. Now, um, The Noble Sportsman starts off um, in something uh, um, maybe some of our younger listeners may not fully appreciate, which is the Horse of the Year show. Um, now, back in the 1970s, when we just used to have three channels, um, the Horse of the Year show coming live from the Empire Pool, Wembley, was a TV phenomena. Um, it made household stars of people like David Broom and Harvey Smith and, oh, what's his name? Shockamola. Um, lots uh, of uh, show jumpers became like big sports uh, stars um, and it used to used to attract millions um, particularly the one where they used to get a horse to jump a really tall fence uh, and uh, you know it uh, kind of like initiated that idea of using the expression for faults and everyone sort of knew what that meant that that, that there'd been some terrible error um, or something had gone physically wrong um, anyway at the beginning um, Anthony Quayle is taking part in the Horse of the Year show, um, because as well as running his architectural firm, uh, he is a, a, a noble sportsman. Um, he's quite adept at uh, this. He's quite adept at shooting. He also likes fox hunting. So not a lot of like people popular sports. Um, and he is currently married uh, to Sylvia Sims. Uh, there's a bit of an age difference there. In real life at the time, Anthony Quayle would have been 51 and um, Sylvia Sims would have been 30. <gasps> Scandal. Things might not be going quite right because it's uh, alluded to that maybe Sylvia Sims is, is having an affair with smoothie architect and designer Francis Matthews. But then she announces that she's pregnant. The baby apparently isn't Francis Matthews. It is Sir Anthony Quayle's. And this gives him a new lease of life. If he changes an exploitative building project that he was going to go through, uh, and instead he wants to devote more to what could be around for his, his son um, in the future. So um, out goes like the shopping centre type thing. In comes the idea of a children's hospital. Um, so he is thinking of all the positives. He's not entirely stupid, though, because uh, he does get on to Eton to look at getting his son down on the register there as, as soon as possible. But um, it appears that maybe this change of lifestyle is ruffling rather too many feathers. Um, and then a dazzling array of suspects get lined up because it appears someone wants to rub Anthony Quayle out. Um, whether that is through poisoning, whether that's through guns, through a variety of means. And it appears that someone is um, out to get him. Um, his young daughter, Jane Asher. Not with Sylvia Sims, it should be pointed out. This is from... A Sylvia Sims is his second wife. Um, and so Jane Asher puts down her copy of The Caterer and enlists the help of the only person she can think might be able to help. Um, and that's Mr. Simon Templer to, to perhaps come in and investigate. And you've, you've described these as... It's a, it's a big Cluedo episode, isn't it? Mm. In, in which there's there's a variety of, of suspects. There's some disgruntled employees 
Um, there's there's the farmer who doesn't want um, the fox hunting to take place on his ground. Of course, there's even Francis Matthews as well, who's who's handling uh, um, kind of the rejection by Sylvia Sims, perhaps not in a good way. So there's a dazzling array of um, people lined up until Simon, of course, reveals the true villain. After being held at gunpoint. Now, there's a bit of subterfuge here, isn't there? Mm, yes. There's, um, at first, you have a clear idea. You know, you've got your big tick list of, of suspects. Um, but then in a nice little reversal, it turns out the person who's been threatening Sir Anthony Quayle is Sir Anthony Quayle. It does make you wonder about how inbred and uh, mentally unstable or not the British aristocracy are. A bit like the ruling class, not quite as surreal as that, perhaps. But Sir Anthony Quayle has tried to set up Francis Matthews, including using letters with pasted words in it that can only be from the architectural review or something Yes, yeah, there's um, there's that. Someone's um, fiddled with the brakes on his car. Um, and for 1960s film and TV car fans out there, you're in for a particular treat here because Anthony Quayle's car in question is the Aston Martin DB5 from Goldfinger. Is it the same car? Is that it's the same gold car, allegedly, it? yeah. <laughs> allegedly, yeah, because commercially... That car wasn't available at the time. And what Aston Martin were were doing, and, and during the 60s, some big manufacturers came up with this idea of, of thinking, well, maybe if we if we have our, our car, our product feature in a, a big TV series or, or film, um, it might raise the profile a little bit. Does that mean he could have fired Jane Asher out of the ejector seat? Could have done. Uh, could it, I don't know whether that was the package that he bought when he, he got that. I know he had a good insurance scheme and uh, fire and theft. But yeah, it's it's that car. And apparently someone's been, been fiddling with the brakes on it. But we know who that is, obviously, at the end. At least one gun has been either emptied or filled with blanks. Mm -hmm. But then the saint does one of his poker bluffs and tells Sir Anthony Quayle, that he unloaded the other gun as well. Yeah, he unloaded both guns. But in fact, it's it's a double double bluff, isn't it? Uh, mm. Because he he hadn't he hadn't got like I said, wouldn't play cards with Simon. Now the thing is, what I want to know uh, is at the end, the cops do turn up when it is revealed that Anthony Quayle is actually the the villain of the piece, um, and he is arrested. Um, and Jane Asher um, says, "Yeah, I know he's been arrested and taken away." But I will always remember him as my father and the noble sportsman. And then there's a polite round of applause because she's mentioned the title. Uh, but what's Anthony Quayle actually done? What's his crime? Um, oh, there you go. Uh, I would say possibly attempted murder. Okay. Um, he can't do him for conspiracy because it's just him. Yeah, it's just it's just him. Um, um there's no there's no breach of promise as as regarding designing that that shopping center because he's he's designing something a lot better now he's doing a children's hospital so that's a good outcome uh I, he, I, I don't know what i i when i watched the episode i just thought wait a minute the cops taking him away what's he done threatening what? behavior um two years probation <laughs> 
I don't, you know, he's he's not going to do a long stretch, is he? No, and given a psychiatric report about paranoia and aristocracy, I would have thought that uh, probably maybe six months in a stately rest home yeah, or something. Yeah, category D um, prison, open prison, yeah. And of course, he might have to be judged by his peers, which would mean the House of Lords, like in Kind Hearts and Coronets. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, maybe we'll, maybe you could do a longer stretch then. Uh, but yes, I, I did worry um, as, to, as to, okay, wait a minute, how are they going to build a case against him? Uh, just wondered. Uh, but yes, you've got, like I said, Sylvia Sims, Anthony Quayle. You've also got Francis Matthews, um, who I saw, well, not, not him, but I saw one of his films only on Friday um, as part of the widescreen weekend at the National Science and Media Museum in Bradford, um, where he plays the hero in Dracula, Prince of Darkness. Jane Asher, um, 18, I think, at the time. She's really young at the time. I think this might even be before she went out with Paul McCartney or started baking. Maybe she did the on-set catering. I love to think that. Just as a start, or oh, I hope you don't mind, I whipped up some rock cakes. Yay, thanks, Jane. Yeah, it's it's got a nice dazzling array of people in it. Jane Asher obviously already clocked up a huge number of credits. Um, Francis Matthews. Uh, one thing I didn't know about him was that he was born in Holgate in New York. Oh, um, right next to the railway line. Local lad, mate. Um, uh, in possession of two priceless Avengers points, 52 episodes of Paul Temple. People do forget how big Francis Durbridge was in those days. And, of course, the voice of Captain Scarlet. He crops up again in To Kill a Saint. He's in One Human Jungle. The whole series of 1962's The Dark Island. Dave, make up a plot because no episodes are known to exist. Right. The Dark Island, um, to me, sounds like somewhere that may be um, in the Mediterranean. Uh, and despite that being a sun-kissed environment, Bizarrely, this island is always in shadow. And since it is always in shadow, um, it is a perfect location um, for research um, into, into darkness and the fear that darkness generates. Um, and two people who are on a yachting holiday um, are wrecked off the coast and both are then used in the experiment, but both also mountain escape. I'd watch that. That's better than the only thing that I know about the Dark Island, which is about a torpedo found on a Scottish shore. Spies. Yeah, I should write that one up, Dave. OK, yeah, fair enough. I've got um, I've got my index cards. I'll start work on this after we <laughs> And also there's another lost series in the same year called Last Man Out. Cricket based. <laughs> Quite possibly. I have a feeling that Francis Matthews may have dressed up in cricket whites at some point on screen. Uh, yes, I would probably say he is. He looks like he could be um, a uh, useful fielder. Let's run through the the others. Paul Curran, Danger Man, The Protectors, Sergeant Cork, loads of single plays, and Witchwood. Yes, have a look at the episode list in IMDb I've got down here. And have a guess at the plot from the titles. So that's your homework. All right, OK. Um, Jane Asher, well, what can you say? An icon of the big and small screen. In the same year as this, she was in The Mask of the Red Death. Started young, still going in that long and distinguished career. Uh, she has another saint. And, of course, she's the star of the unforgettably creepy 
The Stone Tape by Nigel Neal. Oh, that is very scary. Uh, Very unsettling. Russell Waters, two points, as well as The Champions, Crane, Human Jungle, No Hiding Place. Donald Pickering, two points. Human Jungle, Newcomers, Another Saint Yet to Come, The Champions, all in all, 116 credits. Martin Valdeck did Four Saints, Callan, Jason King, Van der Valk, The Adventurer, and 25 episodes of Swizzlewick, which is a drama series about the day-to-day events of a local council in a fictional Midlands town. Do you want to guess who the big star of that was? Swizzlewick. I'm going to say Stratford Johns for some reason. Patrick Mower. Oh, right. Oh. He, he'd be a very dynamic council leader, though, at the time, wouldn't he? I would have thought so. I think he'd slam the door of his sports car quite a lot. Howard Douglas makes a return to the series. He played the ticket collector in the very first Black and White Saints in The Talented Husband. Elsewhere, he's in Maygray and a fair bit of work with Eric Sykes. Paul Berardi, one point, but uncredited, and loads of ITC stuff. Champions, Danger Man, 16 Saints, nearly all uncredited. Rosemary Chalmers, who presumably knew how to dance, as she's a dancer here, and in one of her two Avengers points. Her 14 credits include a lot of dinner guests and bar patron roles. Uh, She was in one Foresight saga. Austin Cooper, we've mentioned before, with his 21 Saints. Bill Cummings, multiple appearances. Danger Man, Two Saints, Three Prisoners, most importantly, Three Avengers Points. Jack Mandeville, now that is the name to conjure with. Two points, this is his last of Four Saints and a lot of Danger Mans, amongst others. Fred McMahon, one point. Dave, remind me who Tony Bilbo was. Tony Bilbo, wasn't he a... Oh, wait a minute, no, I'm getting him mixed up with Tony Soper. Oh no, you're going to have to remind me then, sorry. I can't get Tony Soper out of my mind now. Tony Bilbo was a presenter and possibly producer, I believe, of programmes about film. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. Now it's a bit, bit clearer. Yes. And he played the announcer at the uh, Horse of the Year show. There's a few very early drama appearances. And then he started on his distinguished career as a presenter. Right, that wraps it up for the noble sportsman. So the next episode was The Romantic Matron. It has very few Avengers points, apart from John Carson, of course, who, uh, instead of getting the burnt cork out, as in the arrow of God, and pretending to be an Indian guru, merely dons a very smooth snake-it-lithario moustache to charm said romantic matron. Do you want to pre-see this um, plot? Right, so this one uh, is set in Buenos Aires, and to begin with, we see lots of local colour, or in this case, lots of local black and white, um, because it is a black and white episode, Um, and it's quickly established that we are um, in South America, and um, we feature um, visiting um, American uh, uh, Beryl Carrington and and Beryl has decided to visit um, Buenos Aires and, and she's also done something slightly unusual is um, she's come over along with her own car um, as as well. Um, now this is one of those Saints episodes which for a while, for a long while, is almost Saint free. We don't see 
a lot of the saint. The saint has a little bit of a, a comedy aside uh, because the barman mixes in a very, very strong drink, um, which he doesn't like the taste of, not to, to Simon's uh, uh, taste. Although there is a dazzling array of cocktails that are drunk during this episode. And it appears that um, Anne has um, fallen for John Carson's character. Um, Ramon Venino, who uh, explains that he is an organiser of resistance against like El Presidente. Um, and because of this, his life is in danger and he is um, followed and there's there's kind of like mystery and intrigue. Um, and there's also this little subplot about a garage, which is going to repair Anna, uh, Anna Gillis's car. Um, that John Carson's accidentally run into. And it's at that point when um, the saint kind of not takes over as such, but becomes more focal to the plot because it turns out that John Carson isn't in any danger at all. Um, the only danger he's in is danger from the police led by Patrick Troughton, because it turns out that John Carson's no more a revolutionary guy than you or I. It just turns out um, he's a gold smuggler. And what they've done is the repairs to Anne Gillis's car, they have replaced her bumpers, who were misses, um, with uh, ones made out of solid gold. That's right. And the saint is literally strung up, not in a cellar, but in the garage. Mm. Where is the briefcase? I don't remember. Listen, amigo, first I break all your teeth, and then I break your skull. Then I wouldn't remember anything, would I? Where is it? Why all this fuss over a briefcase is worth 2,000 pesos? Why not buy yourself a new one? Ah, you have opened it. Of course. You're a clever man, senor. You've been reading my mail. Master! He's left with the kind of bumbling sort of character who back in the 30s would have been played by Peter Laurie. Yeah, the, the weakest uh, of the villains he's left with, yes. <laughs> um... And he extracts himself from the hook that he's been hung on. And then having sat very calmly in the office with Patrick Troughton, he got his passport back because Patrick Troughton was a bit suspicious of Simon Templer. Simon so, get into this predicament by going somewhere on his own um, and getting coshed on the back of the head. Yeah, wasn't Peter Bowles this time, but um, lacks personal security. Yes, and there's a final showdown, which uh, needlessly risky, I would say, on the uh, steps of the hotel, or possibly Elstree reception, from the look of it. <laughs> yeah, with a potted plant outside. Yes, you would have thought that having it, that whole thing set up, that Patrick Troughton might have made himself slightly more available when uh, John Carson pulls the gun on the saint and the romantic matron who's a widow looking for adventure you're looking for love and uh, again almost she says the as the last line she says the title yeah it's in her last speech i think isn't it mm. uh, or last but one the saint says well your chance of romance hasn't passed and you sort of think is that a chat up line or is he just trying to offer some comfort but anyway he tells us she's tired and she needs to sleep on it uh, so maybe he was just being benign and being the knight in shining armor and then disappearing hard to say i didn't really feel that there was too much of a spark between them because she might have been blonde she might have been about maybe a bit taller than five foot six but she wasn't in her mid-20s mm. 
Not by a long No, probably not by about 10 years, it has to be said. Oh, she's an old um, maid by 1960 standards. Well, but a woman of experience, because she's a rich widow woman, which I would have thought would have been right up the same street, but um, there you go. So, as I said, very few Avengers points here, um, apart from John Carson, of course. Joby Blanchard, originally from Beverly in Yorkshire, uh, he's got one point for the man-eater of Surrey Green, which he hadn't made yet then. Uh, elsewhere, he was an ad- adamant, Moonstrike, The Newcomers, The Troubleshooters, Clough, Gideon's Way, Randall and Hopkirk. But his most prominent TV role was as Colin Bradley in Doomwatch, and it was something like in 32 episodes of that. Yeah, he was the solid Yorkshire scientist in Doomwatch. Madge Brindley... Uh, was a TV regular up to a untimely death in 1968, uh, including The Champions, May Gray, Dixon, Doc Green, and Zed Cars. Um, Peter Diamond, a huge career as a stuntman and a ranger. 245 credits, including Star Wars. I'm sure he and Ray Austin must have worked together frequently. He's got two points, but he played an uncredited zombie in one of your favourite... Plague of the Zombies. Yes. I don't know if it involved a lot of stunt work, but there you go. Peter Elliott has one point and loads of other stuff. Uh, George Little, lots of credits, including two studio Avengers, two Saints, uh, all around the same time. But he was in 100 episodes of Emmerdale Farm as the Reverend Edward Ruskin. Uh. And, of course, Emmerdale. Emmerdale today as... um, Radcliffe McConey pointed out on Six Music, it's the 50th anniversary. They bag an award at the National Television Awards and they win Best Soap. Very probably. Um, I haven't watched it in years, in quite a lot of those 50 years. But it was the 50th anniversary of Emmerdale slash Emmerdale Farm and apparently Rainbow. Oh, right. Okay. Wow. Think there'll be a crossover episode? Oh, quite possibly. Yeah. Writer Larry Forrester, amongst his many TV and film credits, uh, also wrote the novel Fathom, which I think the Rackle Welsh film was based on. Where she's a skydiver, isn't she? But wears a bikini quite a lot of the time. Yes, yeah. Uh, and also, apparently, wrote the screenplay for Tora, Tora, Tora. <gasps> tiger, 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 which is the translation. Oh, right. Um, and then he worked in the States. Just... Um, as an aside to something about the romantic matron, when they raid the security van and they trap it in a tunnel and pump gas into it, which we're later told is chlorine gas, and the two security guards are first very poorly. And then they're dead very callously, like those two security guards the the other week, where it was Jeffrey Palmer who, who got clipped. Don't want to be a security guard driving a van in the Saints, do you? No, no, no. deadly, deadly. Should point out as well, um, for fans of Patrick Troughton uh, that, of course, this isn't the first time he's been involved in South of the Border Disorder, um, because um, for those fans of the 70s, You may remember him as the evil high priest in the TV show, The Feathered Serpent. Right. Um, Which was one of those very odd, rare examples of a children's series, which was set um, in pre-Columbian South America. 
Yes, well, it's educational, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Diane Keane was in it as well. All right. Um, was there a lot of human sacrifice? That was alluded to, yes. So it was such a strange series. To be set in, you know, an ancient South American civilization. And yeah, you know, passed off as a children's show because it was shown in that slot around five o'clock on ITV. Were there any main protagonists of teenage age? Yes, there was. Yes. Yeah. As I say, it would be quite odd if there weren't. Otherwise, you're watching quite an alien concept uh, to get your head around. So you'd want somebody to identify with, unlike things like Sexton Blake or uh, Ace of Wands. Yes. For example, where, where you could be following the grown-ups. But, uh, yes, well, Patrick Troughton was, um, did a lot more than just dying out and being Doctor Who. He, he kept plugging away at stuff. Mm. So that's the romantic matron. On both that and the noble sportsman, actually, Simon Templer didn't really have a lot of screen time. No, like I said, me. it's almost like a saint-free episode of The Saint. Yeah. So, which is quite interesting. I've no idea how much screen time he's going to get in Luella, which I believe is the next episode. Uh, um, yeah, we've uh, again we've got that confusing of um, Sue Lloyd and Suzanne Lloyd. Um, how did they distinguish? Because they've got the same initials. Um, I don't. How did that? How did that work? How did that work with like their copies of the script or their pay slips? I don't know. Um, but what is quite nice is that the um, male guest lead um, is is David Hedison. For those of you who may remember him as Captain Crane in Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, uh, and also as Felix Leiter in Roger Moore's first tryout as James Bond, Live and Let Die. So uh, maybe Roger remembered him. Yes, yeah, could have been a nice a nice little team up uh, um, there. And obviously David Hedison had a lengthy career. And uh, very famously, was in the original version of The Fly. Oh, God, yes. That didn't end well, did it? No. That brings us currently up to date with uh, the black and white episodes of The Saint, uh, Series 2, which are being broadcast on Talking Pictures television um, on Sunday evenings. That closes the rose-tinted black and white television review show. My resident expert and all-round guru uh, and co-host is David Newell. Uh, I'm Guy Morgan, and we will be joining you again, whichever iteration of The Saint um, you're watching. Please play Saint Bingo and tot up your cards at the end of the day. Shout house. But if there's a... You could win a big prize, uh, because as Guy said the other week, uh, Saint Tropes pay. (laughs) Yes, what I would suggest is that if it comes to a lot of points, don't try and match it in alcohol. (gasps) Oh, no, don't try and keep up with Symes when he's drinking. Oh, no. Right, thank you very much for listening, and you'll be hearing from us again soon.